Octa Non Verba is a show that's raw and real, featuring hard-hitting interviews with people that live by the ethos of actions, not words. Marcus Aurelius Anderson is a TEDx speaker, best-selling author, veteran, and leadership and mindset coach. With this show, you get to join Marcus as he goes inside the minds and experiences of the world's most successful warriors, leaders, entrepreneurs, and experts. With each episode, you're going to get the philosophies, concepts, tactics, and strategies these leaders use to turn adversity into victory. Live an extraordinary life based on actions, not words. Now, here's your host, Marcus Aurelius Anderson. Octa non verba is a Latin phrase that means actions, not words. If you want to know what somebody truly believes, don't listen to their words. Instead, observe their actions. I'm Marcus Aurelius Anderson, and my guest today truly embodies that phrase. Victor Lamagusta Henry was a 4-1 to underdog in his USA debut performance against Howany Barcelos, and his victory made a lot of buzz, and the aftermath actually made a big impact on Joe Rogan. Now, Henry made his UFC promotional debut against Barcelos, and as the biggest betting underdog on the card, swept the judges' scorecards en route to a unanimous decision win January 22nd in Anaheim, California. This marks Victor's 27th professional fight, and that record was earned from fighting all over the globe. Joe Rogan, who served as one of the UFC color commentators, reacted to the card as a whole, but used his 14 million followers on social media to give a huge shout out to Henry. And I'm quoting Joe Rogan now, quote, I'm rewatching last night's fights, and one of the most impressive performances of the night was executed by Victor Henry. He was the biggest underdog on the fighting card, came in against a world-class veteran, and put on a fucking show. The fight was everything that I love about the lighter weight classes, nonstop action, and amazing technique. Just an incredible fight. And before we get started, Victor has got a lot of sponsors. Victor is sponsored by the Gentleman's Fight Club Apparel Brand. By tearing tactical innovations, the ultimate weapons and accessories for competition, which you told me that they actually do a lot of stuff for the John Wick stuff, right? Yeah, they train a lot of uh, actors and everything and athletes too. But in specific, they uh, they got Keanu Reeves ready for his role as John Wick. Dude, that's sick. And then you got the Eric Paulson connection there in choreography, right? Well, unfortunately, not anymore. We don't train with Eric Paulson anymore. Mm. But uh, yeah, Eric Brown, when I was training over at CSW, I was training with Eric Brown also. And Eric Brown is responsible for helping with all the uh, hand-to-hand combat stuff with Keanu Reeves. Dude, that's awesome. They uh, call it gun-foo, right? Yeah, gun-foo. I, I love that. And you're also sponsored by Sesby Creek Distillery, and that's an award-winning distillery from the 805. And you told me that there was one that they just put out recently. Yeah, so they're in collaboration with Josh Barnett, and they have the Warbringer and the Warmaster Whiskey, which is uh, winning a bunch of awards, and they're quickly selling out. You know, Everything they do is single batch. So the is not going to taste the same as the next one. So they're, uh, they're selling out really quick. As soon as it comes out, it's basically gone. Yep. You better jump on it. And then his last sponsor is Phytech Fuel Injection, the most advanced go-to electric fuel injection system on the planet. And I just want to get all that out there so that we can get the preamble. But thank you for being here. Well, started off when I graduated junior high, my mom was going to toss me into a private school. 
Now, when, usually when people hear private school, they think hoity-toity schools. Well, this wasn't that. This was a private school in the middle of Southgate where a lot of kids were getting kicked out of all the other schools. Mm. And the parents couldn't afford the time to drop their kids off in the next county or whatever because their kids were being little screw-ups. So instead, they forked over whatever the tuition was a month to take them to this local school. So it was filled with a bunch of little rejects from other schools, you know, so a bunch of little ruffians. So I went over there, and of course, it's a small, very small private school, and all they had was basketball. Well, I'm not, I wasn't into basketball. I mean, I'm 5'7 now, so I was way shorter back then, of course. I didn't even break 100 pounds, so I was 14 years old. Wow. So I, yeah, I was a small kid, so obviously... Being tall in basketball kind of helps. So that wasn't my sport. So my mom goes, well, you're not going to just be a teenager and not do anything, especially with all the energy you got. So I was skateboarding at the time. And uh, so my mom hands me the paper. She goes, figure something out. I said, all right. I saw in the paper that uh, there was a community center that was having Taekwondo classes two times a week for $25 a month. So I was like, all right. And it was just down the street. So I skated over there and I saw somebody get kicked in the head. And I was like, well, that's something that I think I want to learn. So <laughs> I signed up the next day and, you know, a few years later, I got my black belt, started going to the, and then after I got my black belt, out of my mom's house for, for some dumb reasons, was dating a girl, a specific girl mm. and, um, found my way into jujitsu, found my way to the Gracie Academy and from the Gracie Academy to legends, mixed martial arts. And then from there, I found my way to CSW. And the name of your gym that you find out right now is? CMMA, Gardena. CMMA in Gardena. Yeah. That's that's an incredible journey to go from this kind of traditional stand-up art to one of the most eclectic kind of arts out there where it's like, we absorb what's useful, discard what's useless, add what is specifically our own. And that's the beauty of martial arts. If we look at that philosophy, like you said, it one, it kind of keeps our ego in check, but two, it keeps us hungry to be the student to say, what can I learn from this? We were saying before how... Maybe a traditional martial art, maybe doing a hubud or panatukan or even some of the Kali stuff may not necessarily directly translate, but conceptually it absolutely can, right? Absolutely. You know, like there's something to take from all martial arts. You know, you have to remember that every martial art comes from a, a different ethnic group, a different philosophy of life, a different necessity with whatever's going on. Like, for instance, you have Dambe, where they don't even use the left hand. You know, they use the right hand. They, the right hand is the spear and the left hand is the shield. Yep. So you, and, and it's, it's crazy because of course, you know, they've modernized it into a sport of, you know, nowadays there's nobody really fighting with shields and spears, but back when it was originally made, you were fighting with shields and spears. So as the years have progressed, they've kept their traditional martial art, which is Dombe, but they've modernized it into a sport. And now you, I mean, look at all the Nigerian champions in the UFC right now, and they're exciting to watch, you know, and they all got killer right hands. Go figure. You know? <laughs> Imagine that, right? Yeah. So in studying all sorts of martial arts and studying just different, different historical groups and everything, you see that different groups needed a certain martial art in, in a certain way, in a certain capacity to, to fight off or ward off other certain groups. For instance, um, in the military. The original round that the military was using, the original one was the nine mil, and then all of a sudden the U.S. is in the Philippines, yep. and the Filipinos aren't dropping to the nine millimeter because they have a tribal war-like mentality. So here comes the 1911, and it's shooting what 45 ACP. 45, yep. So now there's a bigger round. So 
even in guns, in gung, in gun fu, <laughs> there's a, there's a need. When there's a need, there's a workaround. There's always a way to go through things, you know. And then later on, you know, Filipino martial arts makes its way to the United States, and we have arts with collie sticks. You know, we have uh, we have the the karambit. We have all those things from Indonesia, and you know, it's it's crazy the way uh, the way martial arts just it, it embodies a certain culture, but then the the culture of martial arts extends into just you know the ethnic cultures and then those ethnic cultures you find out why this martial art was this way and who they were fighting and what they were fighting against and that's it seems to me like it's a it's a whole uh, it's a whole history in itself it absolutely is and just like to mention what you were talking about with the the marines in the philippines they had the 45s and then if you've ever heard the term leatherneck they would put their put some leather around their neck like you said because even if you emptied five rounds into this guy he's still coming at you with that this big blade he yeah. may still get to you if you don't have the right placement so it's so important and then even with uh like filipino martial arts like silat it's there's a lot of pushing a lot of moving well silat was done in the jungles it's already muddy there yeah so they used to assume they're going to fall down so they will even start from the ground to give them an advantage so they don't fall on their ass and lose their weapon or, or get caught off balance and now when they knock their opponent down now, when they come up and they have that karambit, now they're much more deadly. Yeah, and especially the the targets. You know, it's it's funny and it's messed up too because I see a lot of people making fun of like the McDojos, where mm-hmm. you'll have one guy standing perfectly still, and then this other guy is dancing around his knees and he's just doing a bunch of funny stuff with his hands. And it's like I understand that it doesn't look like anything; it just looks like funky to people who don't really know. But I'm also thinking. Yes, you're right in the sense that this slob-looking body is doing something that really doesn't look like it'd be effective. But it's not—it's not necessarily the entirety of what he's doing. He's like doing right now. It's one or two moves that would actually come out in an actual situation. But again, you know, these are these are older martial arts that younger people or people getting into MMA or just things like that—they're they're just completely disregarding because it's all about jujitsu. It's all about wrestling and it's all about boxing or Muay Thai. The, even the traditional Taekwondo and the traditional uh, Olympic style Taekwondo, there's a lot to learn from that, even though they're not, it's a different rule set. But if you learn that, or even if you go and you start training with them, you'll notice that, man, this, this MMA stuff, even though it's hard and it's tough, very specific arts like boxing, man, can you imagine a bag for an hour, Oof, an hour and a half, two hours? And these guys are hitting, doing bag work. After they're sparring, after their pad work, and then they go to bag work. Yep. And then after that, they run, and then they sleep for a couple hours, and they go do it again. You know, these specific arts, they're real tough, especially when they're uh, isolated, you know, isolated into just one rule set. It's always been limitations that have helped the human nature to, to expand things. Boxing wouldn't be where boxing is if we didn't, as a society, say you can only use your hands in this fight. That's exactly, and it forces us to evolve. And as you mentioned before, martial arts, it means warlike. So if I'm trying to teach it to people, I can't kill every person that I teach. Oh, see, it works. See, it works. We have to create a spore version or we have to create a, a less lethal version because if I don't, then I can't teach the rest of this army or the rest of the people that are defending these lands. And even I, I wrote an article on Black Belt Magazine a few years ago about Perdal Saray. It was uh, Cambodian boxing. It was sort of the father of Muay Thai. Because Cambodia and Thailand and like all these places, they were the same place, but then the, the line would move after a war or whatever. But these were 
men that were literally walking down to this pit. They didn't have a ring. And they literally had a monk that had incense going as he went. And it was actually a Zen. It was a burial ceremony. And they had a casket next to the pit because guys were dying for this this art because it was so much honor respected with it. But it was like, listen, when the French came over and they were looking at it, they were like, listen, we can't let you guys just kill each other. So they had to what? They had to modernize it into a sport so that could survive. And then, like you said, that all of a sudden now people are being influenced by the kick, the knee, the clinch. I mean, your clinch work is sick, but that, that's what they were really big on. So there was so much of this. Like you said, the more that you understand about an art, it becomes something that is this cultural part of you. And we see that common thread that, that goes through all martial arts when it comes to this notion of being a warrior. There are a lot of fighters that have this idea that the world kind of revolves around them or the gym revolves around them. And they want to be the prima donna and they just want people to come over there and, and work with them. But the martial arts keeps us humble. It's like, there's a rank system. We have to kind of give back to other people. We teach this white belt or we spar with this new person to cultivate this skill set within them. And it's not about you just being this badass fighter who can bust people's heads. Yeah. You know, like out of the 20 years that I've been doing martial arts, I've only had 27 fights, well, professional fights. And you want to assume what? Four weeks of, of your of your life is dedicated to that one fight. So whatever the math is on that, you know, that's still leaves a lot of time outside of fight training. So, you know, one of the first things I did even after fight is I made sure that I was like, you know what? Even though Joe Rogan shared this on Instagram, even though like my Instagram account just jumped up 13,000 followers out for me was crazy. I was like, I still have to go to the gym. And the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to start picking up after people, you know, because fighters are fighters. They, they leave their tape on the freaking on the floor or they'll leave empty water bottles places or, you know, whatever. So I'm, I'm thinking, okay, I can't go back yet and start training. Cause then Josh is going to whoop my ass. You know, he said, he said, take a couple weeks off because you've been in and out of fight camp. You need to let your body recover. But I was like, okay, well, first of all, that's not going to happen. I need to be in the gym. Cause I need to just be in the environment. Being in the environment is so, I think, you know, it's funny because like people get injured and oh, I'm just going to stay at home. I'm like, no, like there's things you can do. Like, yeah, you got to mess up. Like, I mean, there were times where mom, there have been times where my legs are just beat up and sore and you know, I can't, but Josh said, Hey, you need to get your cardio somehow. Go figure it out. So I was like, okay. So what I did is I sat on my butt and I did battle ropes. Wow. You know, or I'll, yeah, I would just jump on the airdyne and use my arms only. You know, so there's things you can do to make it happen. If you don't want to do something, any excuse would do. But if you really do want to do something, you'll figure out a way to do it. So I got to the gym and the first thing I thought of was like, hey, I need to be of service to other people because I know in my head I'm a human just like everybody else. And there is a there is a way that it's going to get to my head and I'm going to get, I'm going to be a little spoiled prima donna if I let it, you know, so. Oh no, I'm, I'm gonna go to the gym and I gotta make sure that I pick up after people. I, I set up the mop bucket and then I mop after everybody's done. You know, when you are in fight camp, then yeah, everything's kind of gotta be about you. You gotta get your rounds. You gotta get, you know, you gotta make sure people aren't doing something stupid with you. And, but again, that's, that's such a small blip or su such a small time frame in the grand scheme of your whole martial arts career. You know, and martial arts is not just about getting in there and fighting somebody. Sometimes strength isn't about what you can do to somebody. Sometimes strength is how much you actually hold back and how much you control and not deliver onto somebody. There's been a, I mean, if you want to talk about 
how many Bruce Lees have been rejected out of a gym because of an idiot instructor? You know, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of potentially great martial artists out there that just, you know, maybe they're, I mean, yeah, I mean, the point of martial arts is to become mentally and physically strong and, and become a wiser person in general, but you don't start that way, you know, and all of a sudden, you know, you got this hothead instructor who thinks he's the shit and a new, a new, a new student comes in and all of a sudden they can't, they, they just don't jive well with the instructor. And then they in martial arts for this one who could have been great. It's it's a shame. It's a waste, and and that's that's again, like you said, that culture of the martial arts that keeps us honest. Again, it's easy, like you said, for a fighter sometimes to allow that mentality of it's about me to project throughout his entire existence. But again, if you're not fighting, there may be somebody else in a fight camp that needs your help, right? Somebody else that wants you to hold. Somebody else that wants you to give them some coaching. Somebody else is like, hey, can you put me through these rounds? And again, now the whole tribe is like feeding each other as opposed to it being just about you know, the Victor show, right? Yeah, absolutely. You know, like, I mean, after my fights, I've gone back to the gym because somebody else has got a fight in about a week or two. And I need to do my best to study my teammates opponent so I can try to imitate them both physically, you know, cardio wise and try to imitate the way they do things. So my partner can, uh, can train again to the best of their ability because now that my fight is done, doesn't mean I take off and do nothing. I got teammates that need help. We fight alone in the cage, but we bring everybody with us. You know, all the training partners, all, whether it be drilling, whether it be live goes, whether it just be a conversation because you're sitting down next to the punching bag, you got to be within the martial arts mindset of just being there and being able to, uh, being able just to bounce off of each other because that's how martial arts is spread. That's exactly it. And there's so many people they're never going to have this experience. So I'm going to ask it from you. We've seen, I say, we, I've seen many guys that come into the gym and I know that you have two younger guys, physical specimens, maybe have some just natural skill set. Maybe they're, they've already have a wrestling background or a, a boxing background and they do well. And even in the gym before a fight or before a competition, they're wiping the floor and ragdolling everybody. Right. But when they walk out, when they're walking out to the octagon, when they're walking out to the square circle, when they walk out to the mat and the lights hit them, there's something that catches them because they're not prepared. They don't understand how to deal with that adrenaline dump. Can you tell us what you're thinking as you're walking out to the octagon and how that may be different from a person who is less conditioned for such a situation? Yeah, man. I mean, first, let me tell you a story. When I was in over in Legends Mixed Martial Arts, I remember before I even had my very first smoker, which is a kickboxing fight, you know, you got mm-hmm. shin guards, big old gloves, headgear. Before I even had my first one, there was this guy that was training there. And he was, a, uh, I think he was in college, but he was playing baseball in college. So he was a, he was a physical specimen, you know, and I had done Taekwondo before. So I thought my kicks were pretty good and everything, but Taekwondo and Muay Thai, different animals. Cause it's different, different sports, different martial arts. So I remember this guy would whoop my ass. Every time we would spar and I was like, I don't, I, I'm thinking to myself, man, he's going to go in there and he's going to, he's getting ready for his first fight. You know, his first smoker. I'm thinking, man, he's going to go up there and he's going to whoop some guy's ass. And the first thing is the, exactly like you said, the lights hit him and I don't know what the hell happened, but he starts getting his butt handed to him. And I'm thinking to myself, man, I want to fight. But if this guy who's out there and he's getting his butt whooped, I need to train twice as hard or I need to 
I need to just give up this endeavor altogether because there are some bad motherfuckers out there, right? So then, you know, after the fight, he he gets absolutely worked. I never see him at the gym again. And I'm like, well, that's kind of weird, whatever. But, you know, and then, you know, a little bit later, my coach goes, all right, we're going to put you in a fight. And I'm just like, thinking about that, thinking, man, I don't know if I got what it takes, but screw it. Let's go, let's go fight anyways. And I go out there and it was just, maybe it was like, 60 to 100 people inside this little this little gym and i remember just going out there and thinking well i'm just gonna go fight this guy there's one constant in all of these fights someone's gonna punch you in the face it doesn't matter how i mean the attendance changes the the arena of what you fight changes sometimes it's a cage sometimes it's a ring sometimes it's a pit sometimes it's an elevated surface it's all the same it's all those all change but the one constant is somebody's face so going out there for this fight it was it was pretty crazy because i'm thinking to myself man i'm hearing the music there's a physical buzz that's going around especially in american crowds because everybody's talking drinking cheering there's a physical buzz that you can actually feel on your skin and you're and you're thinking to yourself man this is well i gotta fight but again all those things change everything changes the one constant is that you're going to go in there right now and you're going to fight somebody. Somebody's going to try to punch your nose through your asshole. So that's the one constant. So you got to just, in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, I've just got to focus on this fight. So then the curtain opens up. The lady's going, all right, three, two, one. And there's moments before moments before moments from being in the locker room, just stretching and warming up to being just behind that curtain. And you have your event coordinator counting down three, two, one. You walk out to the walkout itself. To now you're in the cage and you're waiting for your opponent to come in. To Bruce Buffer yelling at you. To all of a sudden, ding, ding, ding. And you clear that and you, and you close the distance between each other into the center of the cage and you start fighting. There's moments on moments on moments. And in each moment, you have to, well, in my mind, I'm thinking, all right, just, you know, hands up. This is the game plan. This is what we're going to do. I'm not thinking about how many people there are. I'm not thinking about the stage i'm not thinking about the crowd i'm not thinking about anything i'm just thinking hands up chin down he's he's pulling his jab back to his his chest or he's pulling his jab back really high i flinch you know it's it's got to be a chess game in there and every crowd is, is basically different you know so you get different things from different crowds but how do you push that crowd out and focus on the task at hand i was earlier about how how martial arts has helped me through every endeavor in life. Even at the bar where I work, I was working as a bouncer and then now I'm a bartender. This one job needs to get done. You know, I need to change a keg or I need to do this. And I got, you know, I got four people deep in the, at the bar. Well, I was like, well, I can't serve anybody without the actual drink that everybody's going to drink. So what's the one thing that needs to change? I got to go change that keg. So in just things like that, where you like, you, you, you take those lessons in martial arts and you apply it to life. And you just, it's just, it's just over and over again. And so I get caught in life sometimes where I'm like, I don't know what I would do. So I try to translate it to the best of my ability into, okay, well, this is kind of like this in, in wrestling or in, in jujitsu or what, this is what I was boxing or whatever. So you try to, you translate it. And then once you translate it, you apply it to something else. So in short, to answer your question, I really don't feel much. You know, you go out there emotionless and let's see where the tide takes us. Yeah. You're, you're a warrior. This is what you do every day. This is your, this is your office. 
And you fought over the world. You fought in Japan, you fought in Russia. And like you say, I don't know if people understand this, but when you're on stage or when you're walking onto the, into the cage, some of the people don't want to see you win. Some of the people are rooting against you. And if you allow that energy to seep into you, it will shake your confidence. It'll take your eye off the, the opponent. It'll make you forget about why you're there in the first place. And that's why, like you said, you had kind of have to just say, listen, I'm moving forward. And a lot of times it may be that first punch or that first kick that lands, whether it be you or him, or maybe that first shoot that you stuff. And now you're like, okay, I'm in it. And now you're in your environment. But for a lot of people, again, that walk, it doesn't serve them. And now they're already a step behind. For you, you were like, okay, this is what we've been doing. This is what we train for. Ring the bell. Let's go. Yeah. I mean, uh, you're right. There's a lot of people that want to see you lose. I mean, that was a, a huge betting deficit that I had to overcome. And, you know, of course, some people are like, oh, that doesn't bother you. Not at all, because it doesn't matter. The guy, my opponent still has to beat me just because he's beating me on betting lines. We're not in a betting fight. We're in a physical fist fight, you know, so he still has to beat me. Yeah. That doesn't matter to me. So, of course, going into this fight, none of that matters. The only thing that matters is now we're going to get in a fist fight. And I plan, I full on winning. Like, just because you're on paper better than me. And I was, I saw this one other guy where he said, striking, Hani Barcelos. Wrestling, Hani Barcelos. Jiu-Jitsu, Hani Barcelos. Cardio, Hani. I was like, what do you think? <laughs> that I'm, I'm just some chump? Like, what? I don't understand. Like, what? advantage do you give me in any way if you had to be honest oh no nothing problem but it's probably because like i said people are ufc fans they're not mma fans and that's fine you know i don't fault people for that as long as they claim it but if you're going to be claiming yourself as an mma journalist or uh, a fight journalist or uh, whatever if you're going to claim that then you have to claim it all and that means something outside of the top 15 in one organization. I tell these people, listen, it's okay to be MMA fans or UFC fans because who doesn't like pugilism? You know, everybody watches some form of violence. And a lot of these MMA journalists, they were saying, okay, well, Hany Barcelos has fought tougher people and he's fought in the UFC. I was like, okay, that's your opinion. I think that ex-champions, top, uh, you know, top 15 in the world training partners of the current champions and people, but who am I to know? I'm just the one that fought him. And then just to, just to disregard me that, okay, well, whatever, that's on, that's on you guys. But then of course, after the fight, I was like, yeah, I told y'all, you know, I told y'all this is what, what was going to happen, but it was because what do you claim to be versus what you actually are? If you claim to be an MMA journalist, then be an MMA journalist. Follow more than just the UFC. I think the UFC has done a wonderful job of marketing MMA to the world because they have the financial backing for it, which is great. I think it's wonderful because at the end of the day, more people are going to be MMA fans, which hopefully will spark more martial artists and more people of, uh, you know, of like mind that way. You know, One of the great things about wrestling or just martial arts in general is that it doesn't matter how tall, skinny, big, no matter the melanin content of your of your skin, doesn't matter what you are. The only thing that matters is how much time you spend in that gym perfecting your craft. Every person is born with some form of some form of gift. You know, some people are taller, some people are longer, some people are short, stocky, but they for whatever reason they got a great jab. 
And, you know, there's some other people who are just tall and lanky and they got great knees and elbows. They couldn't jab for shit, but once it comes to knees and elbows, they, they got it. You know, everybody's got some form of skill set. They're just naturally going to pick up wrestling. I mean, there's so much in martial arts, but everybody's got a, a gift that they can apply in a fight or in a combat scenario. So who am I? I'm just going to show up and I'm just going to whoop on somebody. Ah, no, I'm going to, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to help nurture these things out of the newer people. And I'm going to help the, the more senior of, of, of people to me will help me develop and everything. The mat space, the, uh, the circle, the ring that is shared by everybody. And there is no, there's no political, there's no racial, and there is no ideological differences. At the end of the day, what I say before, everybody's going to punch somebody in the face. Yep. And if Rusty doesn't give a shit about how much you make or how long you've been there or what you're entitled to or what your previous experience was, it cares about right now, this technique. Are you getting better? Or are you getting worse? There's no in between. You're either getting better at the technique or you're getting worse. That was part one of my interview with UFC fighter Victor Henry. You can hear part two of the interview on the next episode of Octanon Verba, where Victor returns to discuss the journey to becoming, as Joe Rogan said, the biggest underdog on the card and the foundational lessons that he learned along the way to victory. We also discussed how to nurture the right skill set, being willing to step into chaos to be successful, and the biggest misconception about fighters and why violence is not always the answer when facing adversity. Until next time, live a life of actions and not words. Live a life of Octa Nonverba. Thank you for listening to this episode of Octa Nonverba. If this message resonates with you, please share it out with others on social media. Hit that subscribe button and leave a review for the show anywhere you listen to podcasts. To learn more, please go to MarcusAureliusAnderson.com and join his Octa Nonverba inner circle to get exclusive content, news, and information. Until next time, remember, talk is cheap. Live your life based on actions. Not words.